0: chapter 25 part 2 of the filigree ball by anna katherine green this livrix recording is in the public domain recording by carolyn chapter 25 part 2 you were waiting at the curb when i arrived and i remember how my heart stood still when you laid your hand on the carriage door and confronted me with that light on your face i had never seen disturbed since we first pledged ourselves to marry. would he see it too and come forward from the secret place where he held himself hidden was i destined to behold a struggle in the streets an unseemly contest of words in sight of the door i had expected to enter so joyously in terror of such an event i seized the hand which seemed my one refuge in this hour of mortal trouble and hastened into the house which for all its doleful history had never received within its doors a heart more burdened or rebellious as this thought rushed over me i came near crying out the house of doom the house of doom i had thought to brave its terrors and its crimes and it has avenged itself but instead of that i pressed your hand with mine and smiled oh god if you could have seen what lay beneath that smile for with my entrance beneath those fatal doors a thought had come i remembered my heritage i remembered how i had been told by my father when i was a very little girl i presume when he first felt the hand of death upon him that if i was ever in great trouble very great trouble he had said where no deliverance seemed possible i was to open a little golden ball which he showed me and take out what i should find inside and hold it close up before a picture which had hung from time immemorial in the south-west corner of this house he could not tell me what i should encounter there this i remember his saying but something that would assist me something which had passed with good effect from father down to child for many generations only if i would be blessed in my undertakings i must not open the golden ball nor endeavour to find out its mystery unless my trouble threatened death or some great disaster such a trouble had indeed come to me and startling coincidence i was at this moment in the very house where this picture hung and more startling fact yet the golden ball needed to interpret its meaning was around my neck for with such jealousy was this family trinket always guarded by its owner why then not test their combined effect i certainly needed help from some quarter never would william allow me to be married to another while he lived he would yet appear and i should need thus great assistance great enough to be transmitted from father to son as none of the moors had needed it yet though what it was i did not know and did not even try to guess yet when i got to the room i did not drag out the filigree ball at once nor even take more than one fearful sight-long look at the picture in drawing off my glove i had seen his ring the ring you had once asked about it was such a cheap affair the only one he could get in that obscure little town where we were married i lied when you asked me if it was a family jewel lied but did not take it off perhaps because it clung so tightly as if in remembrance of the vows it symbolized but now the very sight of it gave me a fright with his ring on my finger i could not defy him and swear his claim to be the false dream of a man maddened by his experiences in the klondike it must come off then perhaps i should feel myself a free woman but it would not come off i struggled with it and tugged in vain then i bethought me of using a nail-file to sever it this i did grinding and grinding at it till the ring finally broke and i could wrench it off and cast it away out of sight and as i hoped out of my memory also i breathed easier when rid of this token yet choked with terror whenever a step approached the door i was clad in my bridal dress but not in my bridal veil or ornaments and naturally cora and then my maid came to assist me but i would not let them in i was set upon testing the secret of the filigree ball and so preparing myself for what my conscience told me lay between me and the ceremony arranged for high noon i did not guess that the studying of that picture would take so long the contents of the ball turned out to be a small magnifying glass and the picture a maze of written words i did not decipher it all i did not decipher the half i did not need to a spirit of divination was given me in that awful hour which enabled me to grasp its full meaning from the few sentences i did pick out and that meaning it was horrible inconceivable murder was taught but murder from a distance and by an act so simple to awake revulsion were the wraiths of my two ancestors who had played with the spring hidden in the depth of this old closet drawn up in mockery beside me during the hour when i stood spellbound in the middle of the floor thinking of what i had just read and listening listening for something less loud than the sound of carriages now beginning to roll up in front or the stray notes of the band tuning up below less loud but meaning what a step into the empty closet yawning so near an effort with a drawer eh? I... do not ask me to recall it i did not shudder when the moment came and i stood there then i was cold as marble but i shudder now in thinking of it till soul and body seem separating and the horror which envelops me gives me such a foretaste of hell that i wonder i can contemplate the deed which if it releases me from this earthly anguish will only plunge me into a possibly worse hereafter yet i shall surely take my life before you see me again and in that old house if it is despair i feel then despair will take me there if it is repentance then repentance will suffice to drive me to the one expiation possible to me to perish where i caused an innocent man to perish and so relieve you of a wife who was never worthy of you and whom it would be your duty to denounce if she let another sun rise upon her guilt i did not stand there long between the wraiths of my murderous ancestors a message was shouted through the door a message for which my ears had been strained in dreadful anticipation for the last two hours a man named pfeiffer wanted to see me before i went down to be married a man named pfeiffer i looked closely at the boy who delivered this message he showed no excitement nor any feeling greater than impatience at being kept waiting a minute or so at the door then i glanced beyond him at the people chatting in the hall no alarm there nothing but a very natural surprise that the bride should keep so big a crowd waiting i felt that this fixed the event he who had sent me this quiet message was true to himself and to our old compact he had not published below what would have set the house in an uproar in a moment he had left his secret to be breathed into my ear alone i could recall the moment he passed me his word and his firm look as he said with his hand lifted to heaven you have been good to me and given me your precious self while i was poor and nobody in return i swear to keep our marriage a secret till great success shows me to be worthy of you or till you with your own lips express forgiveness for my failure and grant me leave to speak nothing but death or your permission shall ever unseal my lips when i heard that he was dead i feared lest he might have spoken but now that i had seen him alive i knew that in no other breast save his my own and that of the unknown minister in an almost unknown town dwelt any knowledge of the fact which stood between me and the marriage which all these people had come here to see my confidence in his rectitude determined me without conscious emotion without fear even the ending of suspense had ended all that i told the boy to seat the gentleman in the library then i am haunted now i am haunted always by one vision horrible but persistent it will not leave me it rises between us now it has stood between us ever since i left that house with the seal of your affection on my lips last night it terrified me into unconscious speech i dreamt that i saw again and plainly what i caught but a shadowy glimpse of in that murderous hour a man's form seated at the end of the old saddle with his head leaning back in silent contemplation his face was turned the other way i thanked god for that no i did not thank god i never thought of god in that moment of my blind feeling about for a chink and a spring in the wall i thought only of your impatience and the people waiting and the pleasure of days to come when free from this intolerable bond i could keep my place at your side and bear your name unreproved and taste to the full the awe and delight of a passion such as few women ever feel because few women were ever loved by a man like you had my thoughts been elsewhere my fingers might have forgotten to fumble along that wall and i had been simply wretched to-day and innocent innocent oh where in god's universe can i be made innocent again and fit to look in your face and to love heart-breaking thought even to love you again to turn and turn a miserable crank after those moments of frenzied action and silence that was the hard part that was what tried my nerve and first robbed me of calmness but i dared not leave that fearful thing dangling there i had to wind the machinery squeaked and its noise seemed to fill the house but no one came nor did the door below open sometimes i wished that it had i should not then have been lured on and you would not have become involved in my ruin i have heard many say that i looked radiant when i came down to be married the radiance was in their thoughts or if my face did shine and if i moved as if treading on air it was because i had triumphed over all difficulties and could pass down to the altar without fear of that interrupting voice crying out i forbid she is mine the wife of william pfeiffer cannot wed another no such words could be dreaded now the lips which might have spoken them were dumb i forgot that fleshless lips gibber loudest and that a lifetime long or short lay before me in which to hear them mumble and squeak their denunciation and threats oh but i have been wretched at ball and dinner and dance those lips have been ever at my ear but most when we have sat alone together most then oh most then he is avenged but you who will avenge you and where will you ever find happiness to blot myself from your memory i would go down deeper into the veil of suffering than ever I have gone yet but no no do not quite forget me remember me as you saw me one night the night you took the flower out of my hair and kissed it saying that washington held many beautiful women but that none of them save myself had ever had the power to move your inmost heart-strings ah low was your voice and eloquent your eyes that hour and i forgot for a moment i forgot everything but this pure love and the heart-beat it called up and the hope never to be realized that i should live to hear you repeat the same sweet words in our old age in just such a tone and with just such a look i was innocent at that moment innocent and good i am willing that you should remember me as i was that night when i think of him lying cold and dead in the grave i myself dug for him my heart is like stone but when i think of you i am afraid to die but i am more afraid of failing in courage i shall have the pistol tied to me this will make it seem inevitable to use it oh that the next twenty-four hours could be blotted out of time such horror cannot be i was born for joy and gaiety yet no dismal depth of misery and fear has been spared me but all on account of my own act i do not accuse god i do not accuse man i only accuse myself and my thoughtless grasping after pleasure i want cora to read this as well as you she must know me dead as she never knew me living but i cannot tell her that i have left a confession behind me she must come upon it unexpectedly just as i mean you to do only thus can it reach either of you with any power if i could but think of some excuse for sending her to the book where i propose to hide it that would give her a chance of reading it before you do and this would be best she may know how to prepare or comfort you i hope so cora is a noble woman but the secret which kept my thoughts in such a whirl has held us apart you did what i asked you found a place for rancher's waiter in the volunteer corps surprised as you were at the interest i expressed in him you honoured my first request and said nothing would you have shown the same anxious eagerness if you had known why i whispered those few words to him from the carriage-door why i could neither rest nor sleep till he and the other boy were safely out of town i must leave a line for you to show to people if they should wonder why i killed myself so soon after my seemingly happy marriage you will find it in the same book with this letter some one will tell you to look in the book i cannot write any more i cannot help writing it is all that connects me now with life and with you but i have nothing more to say except forgive forgive do you think that god looks at his wretched ones differently from what men do that he will have tenderness for one so sorry that he will even find place but my mother is there my father oh that makes it fearful to go to meet but it was my father who led me into this only he did not know there I will think only of God. Good-bye, good-bye, good. That was all. It ended as it began, without name and without date. The final heart-throbs of a soul, awakened to its own act, when it was quite too late. A piteous memorial, which daunted each one of us as we read it, and when finished, drew us all together in the hall out of the sight and hearing of the two persons most intimately concerned in it possibly because all had one thought a thrilling one which the major was the first to give utterance to the man she killed was buried under the name of wallace how's that if he was her husband william an officer we had not before noted was standing near the front door he came forward at this and placed a second telegram in the superintendent's hand it was from the same source as the one previously received and appeared to settle this very question i have just learned that the man married was not the one who kept the store in Owasso, but his brother william who afterward died in klondike it is wallace whose death you are investigating what snarl is here asked the major i think i understand i ventured to put in her husband was the one left on the road by the brother who staggered into camp for aid he was a weak man the weaker of the two she said and probably died while wallace after seemingly collapsing recovered this last she did not know having failed to read the whole of the newspaper slip which told about it and so when she saw someone with the piper air and figure and was told later that a mr pfeiffer was waiting to see her she took it for granted that it was her husband believing positively that wallace was dead the latter moreover may have changed to look more like his brother in the time that had elapsed a possible explanation which adds greatly to the tragic aspects of the situation she was probably a widow when she touched the fatal spring who will tell the man inside there it will be his crowning blow End of chapter twenty five part two